I heard the snap, which means we're on, and this is a another special edition, a Rooster Road Trip Wrap edition of the On the Wing podcast from Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. I'm your semi-regular host, Anthony. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say regular host. Well, on the Rooster Road Trip, on you've, the Rooster you've been Road Trip, in charge for better or worse. Yeah. I'm Anthony Helk. I'm Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's public relations director, joined by uh, a group of public lands public habitat and public access ambassadors as part of pheasants forever's rooster road trip we have andrew vavra we have logan hinners and emmy marrier and all of us are just uh kind of decompressing a bit we survived <laughs> and somehow all of our dogs made it back after yeah kind of one piece after a, a a week well a full week um hunting our way in south dakota across south dakota just on that note where we kind of laugh let last left you uh, you know, we, we were in a kind of a spate of dog injuries. Uh, I'm trying to think we had four dog injuries by late in the week. Yeah, two vet visits, both two, for stitches, back and, to back. And now this is post-road trip, but I continued pheasant hunting when it was done. I guess I'm just a glutton for punishment, but I had an uncle uh, visiting. And so I, I went with him and my dad over the weekend, and, and it's either – a rooster spur, you know, from a cripple or another case of barbed wire. But my younger spaniel smidge was in, in at the vet <laughs> over the weekend. So uh, that's another six stitches. And that's kind of a nasty wound on her neck. Well, when it comes to the story that smidge can tell uh, when, when she bellies up at the bar, I think we can just go with she got in a fight with the rooster. Yeah. That, that'll sound a little it, better. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a, na- it, it, she'll be out for a week, but you know, that's five dogs in a week which just reinforces the notion that they're doing the dirty work. I mean, you get done with a trip like that, and as much as we're hunting and driving and working, it's it's like, man, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, we're working our butts off. And then you look at all how beat up they are. They're kind of just ragged. It's like, no, they're <laughs> they're doing 10 times as much work as us. So. But, but the resiliency is, is pretty amazing too because it didn't take Bo more than you know a day of sitting on our pad at home to kind of give me that look like, I know it's still October. I know there are still birds out there. What are you doing? Let's go. It's like, all right, old girl, if you want it, we, we can go after it. You only get a couple weekends open in October each year, so you should be after it. Exactly. Well, it was nice to see that it, the last day of the trip, which was our, our Friday in, in northeast South Dakota, that even after that hard hunting, they were still going full bore, and we continued to run into birds. That's... That's kind of the the theme uh, as we uh, well why don't we recap that just a bit for for people jumping in uh, pheasants forever's rooster road trip this year all in South Dakota presented by South Dakota tourism a national sponsor of pheasants forever and quail forever we started in pier and worked our way to Gettysburg and then over to Aberdeen and then that last day we moved even further east of Aberdeen to hunt publicly accessible lands in what amounted to be the like the Pierpont to Webster area an area I've never hunted before I mean yep so I've been out there before but I didn't realize I'd been out there before that's how (laughs) turned around I was Uh, we had the good fortune of meeting up with our local farm bill biologist Ben Lardy and he kind of circled a few places on the map for us and unbeknownst to me, we're much closer to Webster than I even realized because that's where I go to duck hunt when I'm lucky enough to get drawn in the lottery. And I will be there again shortly. 
So I'm looking forward to that trip. But I know I'm jumping ahead, but when we were leaving and suddenly we were in downtown Webster, if you can call it downtown, and in 10 minutes, you, you I was can. like... You They have an A&W. I was like, oh, that's <laughs> where we are? I didn't, I didn't even think to hunt pheasants in this area. And that just shows you kind of like the robust nature of that prairie pothole region. You can have it all. You can. And that... That's a real interesting area that we were in just north of Webster. It is right in the midst of prey pothole country. Uh, we were at a, a gigantic game production area, but then I did the same thing because you know, we, we, Ben, Ben is a Pheasants Forever farm bill biologist. And I think we'd all agree he's one of our favorite people here at Pheasants Forever. Oh, absolutely. He's a real helpful guy. He's real knowledgeable. And uh, he has a lot of isms, you know, like those kind of one-liners and, and sayings and things like that. So he's a fun, we'll probably have to have him on here at some point on this podcast. He's a character. He's a real, he's a real character, but I just, we followed him to a couple spots. He kind of served as, uh, our, uh, the one showcasing us these projects. And so it's dusty and you're just following trucks around. And, And I did the same thing. We, we got into Webster when we were done with the hunt and I'm getting a little, a little, you know, human fuel for a, another evening drive. And then I'm looking on the map and trying to mark some things for, you know, future personal trips. We all do it, right? I mean, you just have to. You're, you're stock, stockpiling information, as we all should be doing. And you look at how much public access is in that Webster to, like, Aberdeen area. And I, and I almost think it's some of the – the amount of public land it might be some like the the most in the nation honestly well, it's it's a corridor of hunting right? opportunities doesn't it ha- i mean i'm trying to think in my mind like what area would have more access than that than that stretch for like a midwestern hunter i mean i realize like out west you know the the, the blocks change and there's blm and blah 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 but for for like a pheasant hunter in the in the midwest is is there anything comparable? Well, for me, I mean, I only know what I've seen, right? And uh, I predominantly venture in western Minnesota. And it had a similar feel to kind of riding Highway 75, uh, kind of on that South Dakota-Minnesota border. It goes north-south. You know, there's just the surplus of WMAs, WPAs, and, and walk-in areas in that, you know, stretch. And I kind of had that same feeling in South Dakota where, okay, I can just kind of go try and meander my way from point A to point B and have almost an unlimited uh, amount of, of hunting access. And so that's a, it's a pretty cool opportunity for those willing to hop on their truck and go check it out. Sure. Yeah. You, you flip the pages to though that Webster Aberdeen area and you just look at all the colored areas. Colored means it's, it's, it's open to public access in some form and it's just remarkable. It's, it's a, it's like a Crayola box just spilled over on the page. So and that was one day that we didn't encounter a lot of other hunters as well. So no. potentially a component of all of that access. Spreads it out a little bit. But you know what we did encounter was more birds. And so we started at another conservation reserve enhancement program, CREP. This one was, was uh, again, we're getting started at noon. And one thing that I talked to Ben about, and he's a biologist, so I'm, I'm merely reporting what he told me is that these crep areas, some of them are kind of in the middle of their contracts. And so, you know, when Habitat gets established, it, it, it takes, it, there's a little period from like going from like nothing <laughs> to something, right? I mean, in some instances, I think 
maybe these areas were like brome grass or or pasture land or a state of habitat that wasn't really conducive conducive, yeah yeah for for pheasant and upland wildlife production and in some instances instances they were just fields right like they'd been they have a cropping history on them and so it, it they have to transition from that state of like almost nothingness as far as wildlife to being established to growing grass and then to having birds filter in them right uh filter in and then kind of have them fill up over a couple years of of some production and right now these crep areas in that area are in a very like pheasanty state they've got birds in them they've they've been the grass is in in great condition they have birds the nesting success has been good and and the result is like very very huntable numbers of pheasants and that's what we experienced from northwest of Aberdeen to north of Aberdeen and then as we moved even even further east and we just had another high quality hunt uh, finishing up uh, our first walk with three roosters in the bag. I think there are four. 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 Four roosters in the bag. There were a couple that uh, Ben didn't touch the fence post on his way out. You're watching, huh? Cost him. I I was watching. Uh, he he uh, started wa- you know pulled out the water bottle for the dog. It was you know a little warmish still in the low fifties. And and two roosters squirted out, uh, got away from him. So I'll never let him live that down. You got to get to that edge, touch t- the corner post, touch the corner post. But nonetheless, uh, four roosters in the bag uh, with a bunch of hen flushes too. Uh, basically, the middle of the day. That's what I was going to say. That's, <laughs> you that's know? pretty phenomenal for a, a sharp noon start. But yeah, again, we started right at noon that good day. Grass, great really grass, great grass. And we had a good plan plan of attack. That was something where we kind of figured we were going to do a push around and push back into the best stuff. So it, it is kind of tough walking for, you know, maybe the better part of an hour with not much happening. But when we finally pushed the birds to where we wanted to push them, it was about 15 minutes of just nonstop action. So I won't lie every once in a while I get to an area and I just kind of let the dog out when I'm hunting by myself and, and just follow the dog and kind of, kind of go. Uh, but when you're hunting with a group of people, having a coordinated plan like that was, it's well suited to a group of people. And we did that and followed it and it worked to a T and, and, uh, that was a very nice property. Um, and just a continuation of that theme that, uh, that those crep lands are just, you know, from, you know, at this point, we're talking about a 40-mile stretch that we've covered, mm-hmm. which is a big distance in bird country, bird Huge, country, yep. and seeing the same thing across that swath. So that's that's pretty cool. And then we finished up the the rooster road trip, the hunting aspect of it, hunting a game production area north of Webster. Ben did inform us that the the local pheasants forever chapter there uh, does uh, some some management work on the property and, and may have, I think I recall helped with the acquisition yeah, of they, it. They too. donated to the acquisition of it as well. And uh, boy, that was a massive chunk of ground. It was huge. <laughs> okay. So when we rolled up to the designated parking area, right. And here's an insider's tip. Normally don't start your hunt from there, start somewhere else, but we'll get that to that at another point in time. <laughs> um, he kind of pointed it off to this, this rise way off in the distance. And he's like, you know, I have it on good authority that there's Sharpies over there. 
and I look at him, I look at that. It could have, it might as well have been like the foothills of the Rocky Mountains at this point. I'm like, <laughs> way over there? You're talking about like that brown hill way over there? He goes, oh, yeah. And I'm like, that's still part of this property? He goes, yeah, you want to go check it out? And I just kind of shot everyone a look like, is is he serious? <laughs> like, are we going to be able to make it that well, far? Everyone at that point, after seven straight days of pounding the uplands, like, I think in our hearts, in our hearts, it was like, yeah, let's go do it. But our legs were telling us, like, this is it. <laughs> we're going to do one pheasant walk. <laughs> uh, the, the, the hills can they can stay there for next time. They're not they're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. I, 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 think, I mean, my I leg, my legs were talking to me at that. It's point. good to leave something there for you to go back for. That that's what I'm going to tell myself. I mean, we did put on some good miles in this field. Uh, it uh, well, well, we first started walking towards a standing cornfield that bordered. Uh, I would guess it would be the east side of it. And then we ran parallel with the standing corn because we've had great success uh, in the Aberdeen area doing the same thing. Harvested or unharvested. Really. Yep, yep. And so this was still standing corn. And uh, we walked that over a couple different rises and then discovered this ginormous wetland complex. Uh, pretty good body of water that just kind of magically sneaks up on you when you're walking such a large property. Um, so instead of continuing to the north towards this magical land of Sharpies that Ben really wanted to go check out, uh, we, we took a, a hard left and kind of circumnavigated the body of water. And so what we were doing is using the cattails and the grass as kind of that edge because, again, roosters live on the edge, right? Um, and at this point, we still hadn't seen anything. Uh, the dogs got birdie a time or two, but we weren't getting the, the action out of our pups that we expected on such a good-looking piece. So we continued to push on, and then we kind of hit this draw where a, 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 I'm assuming would be wet during a different time of year. This creek kind of spilled into the into the big pond, and a, half of us started walking up the draw, and then you and Emmy kind of cut up a different draw to the left. And that's where things started getting interesting for us. Uh, we kicked up a hen right away. And then, of course, a big rooster got up way, way out of range. And then Aspen and Logan just took off after that. And I was like, oh, man, we're, we're about to get into them real thick here. And for whatever reason, nothing really produced. I mean, did Aspen – I didn't see – did Aspen kick anything well, else out of there? I think he caught the trail of that rooster that was running ahead of us. Um, you know, we had that hen and then that rooster – um, fresh scent and he was pretty charged up and that bird clearly was running on us and, and just was flighty. So that was, that was kind of how that draw played out for us. And we kind of recongregated at the bottom of the, the two Hills there and, um, kind of realigned as a entire group. And we did a little jockeying of positions and, um, Anthony and Emmy kind of went, I don't even know what direction that was South, South, I suppose. And, uh, Andrew Lardy and Ben Lardy and myself kind of stayed to the left and worked a different drop back towards the vehicles and at, at that point I think everybody's dogs were getting pretty birdie and there was a unpicked cornfield there to the south across the road we we're hitting it kind of at that perfect golden hour time um, and, and clearly birds were filtering out of that corn because we had just walked through there what hour and a half ago and didn't didn't put any birds up but on our way back um, you know we, we stumbled into quite a few birds. Well we know birds are filtering back in because we finally flushed one within range <laughs> and it, and it was like towards the end of the walk towards the end of the hunt and i 
did all of us take a shot at that bird? Can we be honest here? I think everybody. Artillery. Okay, because yeah. okay, look, looking at Jake's video, it was definitely like a bam, 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 bam. And I'm like, well, a lot of us are <laughs> shooting over-unders here, so that's well, I think we're all pulling the trigger on Guess this what? one. Guess what? I didn't shoot at it. I'm all that one's all on you guys. <laughs> but it dropped. But it dropped. We dropped it. Well, and and, uh, and that bird disappeared. I'll give you guys a little credit for fatigue after after pheasant hunting, and 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 at that point, you know, the legs are screaming at you a bit, and you even though some of you guys were carrying it, not me. I had a a, a regular weight gun, but you guys had the feather lights. They just at that point, your, your body's starting to break down a bit, so maybe you just weren't shooting quite as sharp it was but fine because we we dropped it and then all the dogs were instantly on it like in my mind it's like this is going to be an easy retrieve you know sometimes you drop a bird and you kind of have that oh here we go and you kind of hustle up to it like making sure that you're on where it dropped and the dogs have a good you know either sight liner or a good you know scent of where it is but this is one of those no doubters we got we got this bird but then when the line got up to it, it was gone. <laughs> but then you didn't have Yeah, it was just like, oh, come on. Are you kidding me? Where did he go? It was right here. And then you kind of looking at the, at the dogs like they should be doing something better than they are. It's like, where is it? Like, just, just find it. Do your job. Yeah, right? yeah do, your do your job. Do, you're come here. On. Like, we've done our job. Do your job. So these dogs are just doing this tornado of activity, just zipping around the same area. Every single dog was in, like, within the same 20-yard area, just literally doing tight circles. It's like, okay, it's around here somewhere. And then all of a sudden, Aspen. Now, have you ever seen you know, the nature program where it's during the winter and the fox is on top of the snow? And then it kind of jumps straight up and just nosedives into the snow and is going after like a vole or something? <laughs> I just want you to imagine that. Yeah, it's, like, that's, a, it's that's, like a Marty Stelfer's Wild America theme except with Aspen and a pheasant. Yeah, here. with Aspen going straight into the, some of the thickest grass I think we've encountered all trip. And then he just was buried, and, like, he wouldn't come out. And suddenly Logan, like, hops in there and starts literally prying away all the grass <laughs> with his hands. And sure enough, there it was. The, the final bird. The final bird of the trip. But that wasn't the final bird that we saw. Because the, the the walk back to the truck was was pretty entertaining as well. Well, you touched on something that I think we should just point out. I think it's it's a, it would be helpful for some people, uh, maybe at the newer to novice end of the pheasant hunting spectrum, where as you're kind of doing your your scouting of properties, like you're. I like big complexes, right? You guys know me long enough. I like when I'm when I'm out on my like personal enjoyment hunting. I like to go to big, big wildlife areas. Just where you, there's you like, like to wander. I like to wander where there's like they're either a giant area on their own or it's part of like a complex where you have different, you know, a W WPA waterfall production area touching a wildlife area. And so like this game production area in South Dakota that we're on, it's just massive. And there's just a massive chunk of grass and at first blush it's like where are the edges? Where do I start? But a draw is a great edge. Mm-hmm. It's when you get those massive chunks where it's like, I mean, you have the, you have a field edge on one side and that's a natural edge. And then you might get like some cattails in there. But when there's, when there's no like end of insight on the horizon, you know, the other direction, or there's no food plot or the grass type doesn't change, doesn't mean there's not edges still there. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at those draws, draws are great because they, they have an edge on the top on each side. They have an edge where, you know, they meet at the bottom where birds will kind of end up. And then they have a beginning and an end, which are an edge. And that's something that, uh, you know, I, I know that when I'm 
pheasant hunting on my own on those type of pieces i see a draw it's like that that's a likely destination for birds to be holding they'll use it as their like travel corridor you know up to a field to feed or to move through to a loafing area and so don't don't just discount a big chunk of grass just because it's you know it's that again that that maybe flyover type fly you know it's flyover country there's nothing there it's like there's something there there's something there look for it be thorough work that draw and that's another what are we calling it a semi-pro tip semi-pro tip from (laughs) anthony Hout. yeah that's that's a very good point though i mean really any disturbance in the landscape sure is is what you should be keen in on uh sometimes you roll up to these large uh grass fields and all just kind of looks like a monoculture and it's just kind of where do i even start yeah well just to kind of take a breath and really take a look at it and just look for those disturbances and kind of key in on those and you will put birds in your bag. Yes. I guarantee it. Both days, too, though. We worked middle of the large fields and pushed birds. And then our end walk was the big edge. And both times we had big flushes coming out. So it was also working those center grounds and strategically making sure your end push is on that best edge. Exactly. And both days we had a lot of luck with that. Or excuse me, both fields that day. Yeah, well, you had a couple chances there at the end, too. You got... Uh... You know, luck was in your favor. Lux was in your favor, too, your flat-coated retriever. He's <laughs> He looked good. Lux had an injury at the beginning of the week, an eye injury that cost him the first couple of days of the trip. By the end, he was in, I guess we call it mid-season form. Lux, Lux is a, uh, I like his pace as a flusher because he's very methodical. And and sometimes you can't go too slow. I mean, uh, we, we we even went too fast at times. You just can't help it when you're in a group. There kind of gets to be this, some dogs are going at different paces, and I don't know, maybe there's a little competition, <laughs> like mm-hmm. outpace each other to the bird. But but Lux is good because he he goes slow, and that's not a knock. That's not a, a knock by any means. I mean, you guys back me up on this one. Most well, pheasant I, hunters probably walk too fast. They're walking over birds for sure. And I also wouldn't say Lux is slow. And so this is the snowboarder in me, right? Okay. I would say. (laughs) Please correct me. (laughs) He's got flow. Um, If you watch how he works a field versus some of the other dogs, he has like this kind of like artistic rhythm flow to him. Like he's almost like gliding through the grass versus just going 100 miles an hour just all in a very rigid erratic fashion like he's he's got good flow he's got good style as the kids would say yeah slow slow isn't that that i'm glad andrew made an on the fly edit here because that's not <laughs> I, doesn't i'm not articulating what i what i really mean flow is better so you, you know what i mean right logan i'm with you <laughs> i'm following so walk us through how you ended that hunt because you had the most action out of anyone I didn't see the most birds because I heard there was a big flush out at the end, but I did have where I went off, followed my dog. We did watch a rooster come out of the wetlands where you guys took, so we also had spotted one, did the classic just mark where it goes, stayed in the field, so it was just beelining towards that position, and I knew it wasn't the furthest edge, so I stayed and kind of worked that, knew there was a marked bird, put my dog in that general area, and ended up having that awesome moment where it's no matter what happens next because you never know that I was following a very birdie dog out of our last field so right there huge smile on my face and sure enough you got the dog tail wagging and it's like the 
adrenaline piece is starting to kick in and why I love working behind a flusher because you have no idea where it's coming from when it's coming it's just it's gonna happen so that moment popped up I had my left to right shot whiffed it never got in front of it and kind of watched that sucker go flying off but I just had this giant grin on my face of like all right Lux just very proud of the dog and at that moment, then it's kind of like, okay, where is my dog? And I was like, oh, that's right. Okay, reload. So I'm going to grab a shell. And all of a sudden, this second gigantic rooster just pops out right in front of me, probably 15 yards in front. And so that's the, whoa, <laughs> the reaction then of, okay, react to like a big bird right in front of you. And it was the shoulder and the classic pull the trigger safety's still on so I just absolutely <laughs> botched that second one but I mean I left that field laughing it was the someday I will have come out of that field with a double from that scenario at this point it was just a huge smile and something well, to come well, back for actually your exact point how could you not be happy in that instance though? because <laughs> when you think about it like pulling the trigger is the very end of the entire story mm-hmm. um so I mean you did everything 98% of the way there, you know, <laughs> next time all you need to do is a little heavier, have a heavier game bag on your walk back to the truck. And that was the only thing missing from that scenario. Yep. Um, so that's gotta be a pretty fun way for you to cap off the road trip. <laughs> you guys saw me. I was just giggling and smiling on my way back. Spirits were high. Well, and there was a pile of birds that just flew. They were kind of doing the back and forth across the road. Like I saw a few sail in and then they flew back to the corn and, so there's, there's some people that, that are going to be hunting that area in the next week and are probably, as that corn comes out, there's rain coming this weekend, they're going to be probably moving on that cornfield, and that area is probably going to be very flush with birds. And, uh, boy, uh, well, you can, you can kind of use, uh, use your atlas, I guess, to coordinate in that general area, Webster to Aberdeen, and uh, there's going to be a lot of corn coming out. And... They'll probably be wrapping up the corn harvest here in the next week to two weeks. And that, I call it like a second opener. You guys ever heard that, that term? I haven't heard that term, but uh, I, I definitely can appreciate the newfound yeah. enthusiasm to get back out there. For well, that. well it, there's, there's, there's maybe two second openers where, where birds get in that, that period where it's like opening day again, where they've, they've maybe a little disoriented. The first, again, this is something uh, I heard mentioned a couple times with some of the people we, we hunted with, but they mentioned that when the corn comes out or beans or whatever, uh, and as the birds kind of, their home areas have, have changed, the terrain has changed around them, uh, that, that that can act as just a, well, I mean, just think think about your <laughs> your own life getting upset, like uprooted and, and you're just, you'd be disoriented and that's what happens and it kind of maybe tilts the scales in the hunter's and dogs favor the second one would be snow you know that first snow of the year maybe a nice fluffy couple inches and that can disorient them too but i don't really want to talk about snow just yet because we had we had like the best weather ever i mean every year at the beginning of this rooster road trip i like fret about well i fret about a lot of things now that i'm like the older guy of the group and the gray hairs show a little more and i i fret about like our own safety safety of the dogs just you know getting everybody home in one piece 
getting home without killing each other. <laughs> Because there's that aspect where we have to spend like <laughs> it's, it's tight quarters for tight quarters, for a while. Ho- you know, hotel rooms, in and out of hotel rooms, dogs being dogs, that type of thing, and so you know, there's those things. But the weather is one of them because that can impact everything else that I just mentioned. One of the few things you can't control. Can't control it, and man, I don't know if I've ever had a better like opening week of weather. Like every day was just like sunny and 50 to 55 degrees. And I, I don't know what else you could ask for. I mean, actually, it might be a tinge warm for the dogs, like, during the middle of the day. But when, when you get to the that edge, that end of the day, the shoulder, like, the last hour, the temp drops, like, 10 degrees. It's just – it makes for the best golden hour ever. And then and then the light is shining down and in that last evening again where we, uh, we had another nice high-quality hunt and high-quality habitat, public – public land public access and then we cooked up a few more birds just to fill our bellies before hitting the road and heading home yeah it it was a a pretty magical you know five days specifically for the road trip like you said we we spent seven days um there in total but to be able to stand at the at the tailgate um and cook up those birds in nothing but like a hunting shirt you know yeah that's what you're getting at that's special because as all of us know living in the upper midwest winter is coming and it's going to be here quick so yeah i might have uh we might have hammered on or lamented the the noon start times for the entire first week but when the weather's that nice and you're still standing at your tailgate at seven o'clock at night and it's still comfortable and beautiful and the sun's setting it's like okay this is why i'm out here right now this is just a beautiful scene this will be this is this is a a statement from like a hardcore hunter i hunt all season long i i've always had an affinity for the late season right pounding cattails but the hunting participation drops off so you pretty much have like areas to yourself and maybe that's part of the reason i've always been fond of it is because you're not there's no competition you're not rubbing elbows it condenses the birds it condenses the birds you know you're you're okay, I'm, I'm looking for cattails near crops, right? It, it you know, that, that science <laughs> becomes a little bit more derivative, but this week kind of changed my tune. I was like, yeah, 50 degrees, October days with that kind of light. I think I, if, if given a choice, you know, to hunt my last day on earth, I think I'll take the weather we just had. But I think what you are saying at the same time is there's no bad time. Well, no, there's not, right? But we, we, you know, this is, that's kind of like the ESPN type conversation. Like, who's the greatest player? Is it LeBron or Michael? I, I don't know. They're both good, <laughs> right? I mean, how many times do we have to have this conversation? Like, they're both better than me. I know that. Good point. Good right? point. Well, you know, one thing we have enjoyed over the over the Rooster Road trip, not just this year, but every year, is it's become, uh, it's become this event within Pheasants Forever that it's garnered such a following right it it uh and this was our ninth one right correct yeah <laughs> you got to correct me if i'm yep. wrong got i it. said it eight for the first week but it's our ninth one and every year it just the following increases and i think people just identify with that that we're, we're we are representative of them right we're we're hunting lands that they hunt and we're not lebron james we're not i'm not lebron you're not Michael. Certainly not. <laughs> Logan's not Kobe. Emmy's not. Lindsey Whalen. Can you name a basketball player, Emmy? 
the links. I'm just going to go with the women's <laughs> yeah, team. Yeah, Lindsay, Lindsay, <laughs> Lindsay Whalen. Yeah, yep, that's I'll take good. It. <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're, um, when I say representative, I, what we're trying to say is that, uh, you know, how we hunt and what we, the lands we hunt is just like any other pheasants forever member. And the, the distinction that we're trying to make is that pheasants forever as an organization is making a, a big impact in creating habitat and habitat on these lands that's producing birds that we can all go enjoy. And so everything we just hunted in South Dakota, it's all out there for you. And we know people have been following along like they have for the last nine years. And they have, uh, they have some questions we asked on our Facebook fan page, uh, to, to have some, uh, rooster road trip followers submit some questions. And, and we have some pretty good ones. And like I said, uh, we're going to, we'll probably take a half dozen here. And then what we don't answer, I'll go back to our Facebook page over the next few days and, uh, and, and try to answer everyone. So no one's left hanging. That's a pet peeve of mine. Just like, just like non dog friendly hotel rooms. I don't like when you send a note in somewhere and it goes unanswered. You don't like being ghosted, huh? I don't like being, (laughs) I don't like being ghosted. I can't believe that's a thing that, that was a thing too. Like, Oh, I just ghosted. We went out on, we went out on, on eight dates. And then I just never talked to you again. (laughs) The the heck is that? (laughs) It's a weird, it's a weird thing. So don't, don't ghost us and I'm not going to ghost you. So why don't we, why don't we get right into it? Uh, Casey Marble, Rooster Road Trip follower. Do you feed dogs before the hunt to give energy or after as to not mess with reliability? Uh, tackle that one, Andrew. Yeah. I think this one's kind of all across the board, depending on you know, what, what science you want to follow. Uh, I think South Dakota's noon start time for us definitely affected how I would have normally fed my dog. Uh, so I did feed her, uh, before our hunts, but that was early in the morning, knowing that we'd still have, you know, six hours before we ever actually step foot in the field. So you're feeding her at like 6am. Exactly. So that was early enough to where I wasn't too worried about it, but she is a lab and I do worry about her flipping her stomach. Um, that is kind of like a, a nightmare scenario for me. And I know that labs as a breed are more prone to having that happen. So generally, if I know I'm going on a hunt in the state where I can start right at, you know, sunrise or, or close to it, what I'll generally do is actually give her an, an extra cup or half cup of food the night before, and then just feed her immediately once we're done with uh, the hunt that day. So that's kind of how I navigate around that. How about you guys, Logan? I- Echo what Andrew just said. I mean, we kind of have the fe- same feeding schedules throughout the week. Um, you know, that just seemed to work well. That's kind of what I've stuck how, with. Let's take out the noon noon start time then, because that that's an anomaly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a one week deal. You know, out of a ninety day pheasant season. How about the other eighty three? What what do you guys do just for our listeners? Extra so, extra the night before, and then as soon as uh, her heart rate is back down after our last hunt. Um, then I'll feed her again, just cause it's just like an athlete. It's uh, if you go to the gym, you know, you want to have that protein shake within 20 minutes of, of getting home to, to make sure that it synthesizes properly. So your dogs are no different. So you just have to make sure you, you feed them close to the end of their hunt so that they get the, yeah. the largest amount of benefits from hopefully you're feeding them a protein rich diet, um, from their food. I'll, I'll chime in here and say too, I do, I would guess a lot of people do this, that they get done with the hunt and like within a couple minutes, they're feeding the dog. I, mean, I shouldn't say a lot, but I, I know people do that. And I know I used to do that, but I do give them a buffer now to like at the end of that hunt, 
25, 30 minutes. I kind of take my time and put my stuff away. And then I feed them at that point just so they've had time to settle down a little bit. So we're, we're similar, but I, similar. I, I don't wait that long. I no. definitely just wait until I notice her heart rate's back at more of a yeah. acceptable time and do that. But again, we're not, we're not scientists. <laughs> so we're just stating I, our opinions. No, but I'm, I'm like you guys too. I'll just add that I, I want a minimum of like four to six hours if I'm going to feed in the morning. And I did the same thing. Like I fed at 6 a.m., but we weren't hunting until noon and that was enough time to get that process digestive process started but mirroring you guys on a, on a the rest of the the season they'll eat a little extra the night before and then they'll hunt on that quote unquote empty stomach and then they'll they'll eat again after they're done hunting i just i don't want to i don't want to deal with a twisted stomach either and that's that's how i operate too emmy that makes four of us exactly the same yeah i i've seen a shit you know in in my career here at pheasants forever i've seen a major shift i think that's that's how things are trending obviously you can i think apply the whatever works theory whatever Mm -hmm. works for you but uh, there's a lot of good information out there and and i'd do some more investigation on that consult with your local veterinarian before you just listen to us jokers that is a good question all right here's uh this might be a little tongue in cheek, but <laughs> but it's also real life. So we're gonna take Brendan Egan's question. He's been listening to these podcasts. He says they've been awesome, so we appreciate that, Brendan. And if you do think you're they're awesome, what what do you say, Andrew? Give your review. Mm-hmm. You, you gotta give us five stars and subscribe. Yes. Go ahead and do it now. Where, wherever you get your podcast. So he's 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 doing a long haul. He's heading to South Dakota and North Dakota, but he's coming from Virginia to hunt public lands next week he's listening to these podcasts and they have him geeked to get there so here's his question what do you do when your buddies are licking their wounds from the night before and can't get moving do you wait on them or do you go hit a field and meet up with them later why are you looking at me you're you're assuming (laughs) i have uh some sort of insider knowledge on this uh okay it's that is just how it's just how i'm sitting okay that that, that is that is a fair question (laughs) Uh, it's, it's something that I'm sure uh, many of us have, have dealt with from time to time with various friends and cohorts that, uh, you, you like to spend time with and, you know, hunting is a, is a social, you know, gathering as much as it is, you know, an outdoors experience at times. So I can see how this may or may not crop up, but I'm in the camp of you leave them. It's not even a question. You're not in that truck. You're not going. And if you're licking your wounds so bad that you're not in that truck at time, I probably don't want to share a field with you. So that's just my hard line. Uh, one way around that is if you know you're getting together with a bunch of buddies from all over for the first time in a while, just designate a later start time and know, okay, you know, Saturday night, let's be honest with ourselves. We might have a, a couple too many root beers. Let's not even try and get to the field until, you know, noon or one or whatever it is. Right. Just be safe people. That's all I'm saying. Like it's, one night of fun isn't worth putting your your friends, your dogs, or anyone else in jeopardy. So uh, just just be <laughs> responsible out there. Is all I'll say. I'd put it to I'd put that to the end of the trip. Yeah. Me, I I want to go hunt. Yeah. I'm there on a hunting trip. I I want to hunt. And then you know if it's the last night with the guys or whatever, and and you want to stay up and talk smart into the night, do it then. You got to drive home to. Uh, I'd I'd rather, I'd rather be in that state 
on the drive home than than you know have it impact my hunt that's just me especially if i'm going that far oh man that's a haul <laughs> yeah you don't want to waste that time no. sleeping in no no i would at the very least get out scouting if for any reason they're going to get upset that you went hunting without them and that does bother you enough to where you would not hunt, I would at least be out scouting. And then if you see the rooster fly across the road into the field, obviously you're going to go. Brendan, you go hunting. You have a good time. And if they want to have barley pops, which is something you can do back in Virginia anytime. Leave them. Leave them. <laughs> Drop them a pin. They'll find you later. <laughs> yep. All right. Next one. Mitch Hockett. He asks, what's the dog gear you can't live without aside from an e-collar in the field? Well, water is a given. I mean, I I, I need at least two water bottles. Now, he he now. goes right to the source of life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, now I actually have, I keep a third in my game vest too, uh, which I never did before, but I just got tired of having to steal some of your guys' water towards the end of it. I mean, these are bigger sections we were walking to. Um, but other than that obvious one, for me, it's a, uh, it's a multi-tool. Um, I always carry around, uh, I think what I carry is the Gerber suspension. It's the NXT. So it's it's a multi-tool, but it's slender enough to fit in your front pocket. So you always have it. So if my dog were to run into a snare, uh, if it were to hit a porcupine or anything of that nature came up, I at least have you know that in my pocket to where I can like assist her with that situation. And after seeing Scout's injury on the trip, I know I'm now going to start carrying a staple or two, but I'll let you get into that one because I'm sure. sure that's probably something you have. Well, I'll, I'll vouch for Andrew. He, I saw you use that that multi tool like five six times during the week, mm-hmm. so you're obviously using it. You're you're right. For me, uh, something that I guess always baffles me is when when people try to make another pet peeve of mine when people try to make like like oversimplify upland hunting. I mean, don't get me wrong, if like if it's a kid getting started and he's going with like dad or somebody, it's like it, it, it is a little simpler, right? Like vest shells, some tougher pants, boots, your gun, maybe that's it. Right. But when you have a dog, like, I almost think it's it, like, if you have a bird dog and you go hunting and don't carry like vet supplies in the field, like that's almost criminal. <laughs> so I, we'll say unresponsible to, yeah. to, well, hey, yeah, we can dial it back. But, I mean, it, it is unresponsible, irresponsible. And so what I do is I have that, that vet kit in my truck, but then I make, like, those essential tools that I might need in the in the field, right? Because it doesn't – when you hunt, like, that a big game production area property and you're at least 25 minutes from the truck, that kit doesn't do you any good there. So, so, you have so to, what is in your secondary, like everyday carry kit? There's, it's, it's a lot of stuff, but that, that number one thing that better be in there, I think number two things is like you said, the stapler in case you just have to close up a wound in, in a temporary fashion, but then EMT gel too. Uh, those are, those are the two things that just, I think, and, and, and then, you know, gauze and bat wrap. If you have those things at the bare minimum, um, there's a hemostat in there, Right. I've never run into a porcupine, but in case I like, or my dogs have, I'm talking for them. <laughs> I I have run into a porcupine. I've seen them driving, uh, but my dogs have, and I've been lucky. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't even say this that we have never run into a skunk e- either. Mm, don't jinx yourself there. I just don't think they're interested. I don't think they're like those. 
I've encountered a porcupine. It was with a friend's German short hair pointer, and that she went in for the full-on bite. So we were pulling quills out of nose, upper roof of mouth. Still ended up having to bring yeah. the dog back. But that also brought up having a leash, too. Yep. That's the other. That's the one thing I don't think we've brought up. That's the one thing I I have one of those like uh, a lead British Mm -hmm. like slip leads and that can function. Obviously, if I just have to put the dog in a leash, I want to do that. You know, if they're if we're getting close to a road and I just want to make sure that they're they're tight to me or we're just taking a break and I don't want them, I just want them to take a break. But yeah, if you need to, if you need to use that to, uh, I guess. Uh, kind of lock them in some type of position or you know tie them down so if you're trying to do some type of uh, field emergency care that they're not nipping at you uh, it's not fun I guess it's not even fun to talk about but yeah those those are the things that I'd put I'd put in there how about how about you Logan um kind of echo what everybody said you know I, I'm definitely in favor of carrying the, the first aid kit um, I'll have a bigger collection of things at the truck um definitely carry some of those pieces with me in the field um leash i always have a short leash tethered right to my game vest um you know for what for the reasons that you've you've kind of stated and then also when when you're in these groups with with a lot of dogs a lot of hunters un, dogs are unfamiliar with each other all our dogs know each other and are real good but you get in those situations where you don't know other people's dogs um it works real well just to keep every everybody's dogs at bay you 90% of the dog fights happen at the truck, I would say. And yeah. it's just something that I don't particularly care to deal with. And no, I've I seen, I've seen a couple doozies where people haven't, you know, they, they lose and good, good people, good, good hunters, good dog owners, but they just lose sight of them for a second. And you've got a brawl yep. where like a serious injury could happen. I'm exactly. not going to say it's going to be to the death, but you could be on your way to a vet in a hurry for bite wounds or stitches. And not to mention you could, you could get injured tried to break that thing up too. Yep. That's so a good it, one. It's just to avoid that. I think those are are kind of my main pieces. Yeah. One thing you do always bring and and I didn't I didn't bring mine because cuz you brought yours and it was enough for us but those reliance jugs for water, big water those big jugs. big water yeah. jugs, those are just uh I guess I they're so handy. Mine's and actually just a big blue kerosene jug. Yeah. I've never put kerosene in it. I've just always used it for dog water but I'll fill that thing up every <laughs> night. And I mean, that water supplied our group of five. Now it'll day. be a placebo effect. So. Every time, every time I drink out of that one, I'm going to taste <laughs> like just oil. <laughs> <laughs> no, those are super handy. I mean, it's just, uh, they're like 10 bucks, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. You can't have too much water. Cause we use that for cleaning as well. We emptied it out multiple. Just about days. every day. Yeah. Yeah. We'd use five gallons. Yeah. Those things are indispensable for humans and dogs. All right, let's do another one. Larry Lesniak. This is this is a good question and something we really haven't talked about, but we we do kind of have our system. Uh, he wants to know how we recommend handling birds, like harvested birds, when uh, we've traveled a long distance to hunt. We're going to be in a state for several days, probably harvesting birds each day, and then a long drive home. Uh, well, he's got his his plan, but... He's planning on cleaning and vacuum bagging uh, birds and putting them on ice in a large cooler. But why don't we just talk about our system and and people can pick and choose what parts of that they like, huh? Yeah, well, I mean, he basically just laid out our system. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it's so... There are a few nuances, though. Well, it, it's so easy just to want to delay that. Um, you Clean know, your birds right just away. Do it, do it right away when you get back to the hotel or wherever you're staying. 
don't even go to dinner beforehand. Don't give yourself any sort of excuse to think, oh, you know, it's 30 degrees at night. The birds will be fine. It's like, no, this is why you just traveled here. This is the whole reason you have a bird dog. This is the reason you spent all day walking these fields. Show the birds some respect and properly handle them and clean them right away because in the long run, it'll benefit you, right? And so what we do is we get back to the hotel. Uh, we, we gut them and we skin them, but we leave on a wing and a foot. Um, it's different in every state, so we have to look up state you know, regulations in terms of traveling with birds. And I know one of the locals we ran into was cleaning their birds, uh, just kept the ring, not, like the, kept the head on, right? Um, I've never done that, so we just stuck with what we know and what we did best. And it's amazing how quickly you can you can clean, you know, eleven birds with four people all the old, doing their job. The old Henry Ford assembly line just running through it. Yeah, it goes surprisingly quick. Um, and then, you know, the, the insider tip I, I would like to say is if you're going on an extended hunt, hopefully you're able to eat some of these birds throughout your trip. Um, don't eat the bird that you just cleaned. I know that sounds counterintuitive. You're like, well, that's the freshest, you know, field to fork moment you can have. Yes, that's true, but eat the bird that's already been sitting in your cooler for two days if you haven't gotten to that one, right? Mm -hmm. So then you're almost like rotating them out so that by the time you get home four or five days later, you have your freshest birds there to then, you know, shock freeze, and hopefully they'll be the freshest as can be whenever you get around to them later in the season. Let's see what else. We we have the Orca. They're like roto-molded coolers. Mm -hmm. Like chill those things down ahead of time. I got home and it still had the full bag of ice. I hardly melted but, uh, two, three the, the, days later. You know, these 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 modern coolers like that, like I said, we have the Orcas. They're just at a different level than, you know, the coolers I grew up camping with. So if you have if you have something like that, you know, I, I guess I'd highly recommend. You know, orcas are great, but something in, in that, you know, that tier of, like, um, upper-scale coolers – they they really are handy. I mean, well, it's it's worth the money because yeah. that that game meat's priceless. So where are you going to cheap out? You're going to cheap out on the one spot that could actually yeah. really affect you know the end game of what you're trying but to do. We have uh, we have in the past brought a vacuum sealer. Mm-hmm. Those are great. I mean, I have one. I've brought it with on hunts. Uh, I don't always do it, but sometimes I do if I know I'm like not going to be eating birds and it it it's super handy. Get some tight so you can pack them better. The other thing, uh, you can we, we didn't do it this year, uh, but we ha- we've done it in the past, and then I've done it on my own personal trips. Is like some hotels just will have like big chest freezers, particularly like the pheasant capital of South Dakota. You can ask if they have a freezer to go put your birds in, so you're just not leaving them in the truck. Uh, again, where that you know who knows? I mean, anything can happen. Your, it, your truck is more likely to get broke into than the hotel freezer, right? Um, but uh, I know one year too, it just, there was like a, a local gas station that had like a freezer, you know, like the, like the liquor store, right. In the gas station. And then they had a like freezer back there and they let me like put my birds. I don't even know. That's probably violating code on some level. Yeah, but. Don't, don't say any names <laughs> when it comes to that. Location. But they, but okay, so maybe we'll backtrack on that, but like at, you know, if it isn't the hotel, there might be some place that you could store birds. I mean, we've asked about like the local meat market before uh i've done that and so that there there might be an opportunity if you don't just want to keep them in your in your truck or or if you're running out of space or whatever that you know that's an option too those yep. are some those are some good tips 
it is fun to eat a few birds on the way too. So you're, you're not coming back with just, just a, a massive pile. I, I enjoyed that. I haven't done that for a long time, but that was really fun to do. That's well, a fun way to relive the hunt when mm-hmm. it's still fresh in your memory. Yep. All right. Winding it down. Let's see what we got here. We're looking through the, uh, the list of questions. All right. This, this is a good one. Just kind of like where we started. What was your, your best area in your opinion this year for birds? I would like to hunt out there this year with my young British lab and would like to hunt in an area that has some birds. Watch any of those videos and you'll figure (laughs) it out real quick. (laughs) Yeah. It obviously would be easy to just sit here and say like, you know, that, that Northeast corner, you know, that Aberdeen area seemed very strong. I mean, there were birds in pier too, but, um, it, it, it would hard, it'd be hard for me to like, just say like universally that like Aberdeen is just better because there were so much more standing crop in some of those other areas. And it's that, not a fair comparison. There's too no. many variables. Yeah. There's too many variables this time of year. Uh, I, th- I think that, that the first two weeks of the season have too much hunting pressure where everything kind of gets out of sorts for a bit. And maybe like by November, it, it starts like getting more static into some like more regular pattern. Uh, but we, I mean, we, sh- there were, we encountered birds every day from pier, a uh, few direct, few directions of pier, south of pier, south of the national grasslands, even west of pier, right around pier, you know, some big wildlife or state game production areas. Uh, Gettysburg was a little light, but we saw a lot of birds, or I did anyways, driving around, kind of flying in and out of cornfields, which leads me to believe that we were just, we didn't hit that at a good time. Mm-hmm. And then Aberdeen was very strong, but we still only covered a very narrow swath of South Dakota. So I think the the theme is to find the edges. I yeah. mean, we've talked about it a ton all week. I mean, you find the edges and we we're finding birds. We'd yeah. all kind of jockey for position to have the edge because you knew <laughs> that's where the shooting was going to be. So there you go. Yeah. We never talked about that. Everyone would kind of get done and then there'd be kind of this, uh, reorganization of our line. And it's like, now there's two, two new people on the outside. Wait, I was on the outside. I think they want to shoot. I'm, just, fo- I'm just following my dog. It's where she wants to go. What are you talking about? Well, th- those are some good questions. That's, uh, we appreciate, uh, everybody, sh- all the, all the rooster road trip followers and pheasants forever, uh, followers uh submitting some some of their questions we hope some of that was helpful we'll probably do that again it's just kind of a podcast thing right take some questions it's fun act like ask experts right which um, we're not <laughs> which we're not well you know why don't we do our our golden hour close we've been we've been gabbing a good while and it's been really fun but it it, it brings to the close another another rooster road trip and you know i like like i mentioned earlier uh well, earlier sometime in the road trip, I and mean, we've we've done this thing for uh, when you add up all the weeks. I guess if you add up the, the the time that we do in front of it too, to like travel and then get out there and kind of go through our setup and stuff, that's like three months in pheasant country, all all oriented around pheasants forever projects, public access, public habitat, and it's been a really fun thing to be a part of and represent the organization in. And so one thing we wanted to close on kind of this golden hour, uh, closing theme is just, just share each of our maybe fondest rooster road trip memory, like a story, a little, little short story that, uh, uh, maybe has a, uh, has impacted us in some way or a personal story. So we'll start with that. Uh, why don't we start with Logan? Andrew's the, Andrew's the veteran. So we'll probably let him close things out, but we'll, uh, 
we'll start with Logan here, and uh, we'll go to Emmy, then me, and finish off with Andrew. Yeah, so this trip specifically, I think, you know, for me, it was it was pretty cool to see the diversity in South Dakota itself. You might, I kind of knew, but it, it reminded me of how diverse that state can be, and you know, from West River to East River. So seeing that was was pretty cool. Um, you know, the mixed bag aspect, and then some of the featured projects that you know our local chapters have been working on. It's it's really cool to see that kind of come full circle and to be able to enjoy that with my bird dog with colleagues. Um, that was probably the high point for me. Um, and then as a little short story, if Ben Lardy's listening to this, it's just a reminder that he owes my bird dog a beer. And since my dog doesn't drink, he can <laughs> get, get me a beer at hopefully like Pheasant Fest. I'll see him again. Um, so Aspen made a nice, you know, retrieve for him on a bird that wasn't, wasn't hit very well on that property by Pierport. Um, Pierpont. Pierpont. There you go. Should have um, been Pierport. So, so I was, I was pretty proud of that. Um, so that, that was the one little takeaway I had. That's good. Emmy, Emmy Marrier, inaugural rooster road trip. I'm assuming your story is going to be from this year then. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think being new to South Dakota for pheasant hunting, I've said it already on this podcast, but the culture that's wrapped around bird hunting there is fantastic. And I knew about it, but to actually be able to witness it, I just thought that that was very cool. Um, for me, in terms of a really memorable moment, it was definitely, there's a photograph of Lux with a big old rooster in his mouth and it's just that sunset in the back, the golden hours that we were able to see were just spectacular. And that picture itself is one that I will definitely remember for years and years. That is a great photo. That was rooster road trip day two. Mm -hmm. And you can go to our Facebook, the Pheasants Forever Facebook page. If you click photos, then photo gallery. That's kind of the cover image there. Gettysburg area. Gettysburg area. Your first South Dakota rooster. It that is a great, happened to be a component do, of it. You know, yep. it's a, you know it's a great photo when people just tell you it's a great photo, right? <laughs> Indeed. That is a good – so go check that out. Jake Schiller, our one of our, our videographer, also dabbles in photography. He took that photo, so check that out. Uh, that, that brings it round to me. Nine rooster own trips under my belt. It does get tough because you start – every year it's got these these uh these moments that they're just they're so fun and how do you like prioritize which one is better you know i i can't lie that i think that first the first year we did it just doing like that five states in five days i didn't even have a dog at that point but just to have the concept come from like to have the concept come to life and go from like just conceptual to execution it's like we did it <laughs> right we we did it and i and i was able to harvest my first quail that year and that built an affinity for uh that's grown in me for quail and you know hunting mixed bag country and every year i've done that i've continued on my, on my own personal prairie sojourns to go do that and i think i have a lot of you know i can thank this trip for uh, putting me there it's been fun to see the the quality improve i mean we were kind of doing it on a shoestring budget early on, and it's been fun to have. Like, I mean, Logan, who's sitting here and has an opportunity to defend himself if he needed to, but Jake Schiller, he's our podcast producer. He's he's off doing video projects right now. That guy is so talented, and if you haven't had a chance to check out the videos this year, you you really should go do that. 
uh, he, he'll be the first to tell you he's very talented too. <laughs> uh, his ego does match his talent, but that's all right. I never mind that. Um, he, the video is one through five. They're on our Facebook page. I'm going to make a... They're also on YouTube. So youtube.com slash pheasants forever. You can find the whole playlist there as well. Yeah. And so there, so where I'm going with this is there is a moment, um, I guess my fondest rooster road trip memory, because it's probably the most recent and you can, you, you don't, you don't get to see the shot. That's unfortunate. Jake, Jake's forced to like, he's got to pick and choose who to follow. There's only one Jake. And he'll he'll also be the first to tell you that's too bad too that there's only one of them, but uh, uh, <laughs> but you know there is only one of them and uh, it was day three in Aberdeen we're hunting a uh, one of their their uh, community based habitat and access programs, uh, which is a walk in property that that that's a walk in property because fe- the pheasants forever and the community there have have worked to incentivize landowners and and it has that community support and and the habitat was just great and it, it's the one where i i veered off from the group right my my younger spaniel smidge is 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 only three and she's a good hunter and i've always known she's a good hunter but it was just one of those moments where i saw her growth as a bird dog happen like she's kind of going like that that step from mm, i i you know i'm there's highs and lows highs and lows to like she got that that old rooster and it's like she's making that transition like into her prime now i mean there's still a few things to work on but when you see that growth and all the all the work that you've put in and so i veered off from the group and followed her and she tracked this rooster for like probably 150 200 yards and just stuck with it and stuck with it and stuck with it and he was running and we caught up to him and it's it's hard not to think back to all the work that you've put in right <laughs> to get them to this point i mean it's been three years hard hard training a lot of time spent with them and then to do it on like a pheasants forever project that's just that amazing it's just hard not to feel like this is it for me is there anything better does it get better than this <laughs> i mean this is why we do what we do right this is why i love pheasants forever why i love representing the organization and then why I love getting out there and and uh, putting the old boots on the ground and running with the dogs. So that was that was a um, maybe I'm what what do they call it when you project on animals? You know I'm kind of anthropomorphizing them, but I you know I thought I saw pride in her eyes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she was happy. <laughs> she seemed happy. So that that's uh, that's my story. And Andrew, uh, we'll let you finish last. And Andrew has the distinction of being, along with me, um, lucky enough, fortunate enough to be on every Pheasants Forever Rooster Road trip uh, every day to date. And and but what separates him and me is that his lab bow. Uh, I was dogless for the first two, I think. Yeah. Uh, and and Andrew had uh, his lab bow is is the rooster road trip veteran bird dog has been started at six months will be a first ballot rooster road trip bird dog hall of famer and so we're gonna let the 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 veteran hunter with the veteran dog uh, take the closing golden hour thoughts on this year's rooster road trip. Well, if we're talking just this year's road trip, I think one of the highlights for me was seeing six bird dogs in a line sitting down looking at the camera with five <laughs> roosters hanging from a post behind them because i've never seen such 
great organization from that many bird dogs all at once. So that's got to be one of the, the better photos I've seen in a long time. You can Somebody go, did ask, like, how, how do we get that photo? Luck. I have no idea. It was just luck. <laughs> right before we came into here, that's what Jerry was asking me about. How'd you do that? Yeah, it was just pure, Plus, pure luck. It was well planned because we just finished out a field, so all six bird dogs were yep. pretty tired. That, day, that day had to have helped. I was waving my hat behind the cameraman. <laughs> <laughs> a, a couple hat waves, maybe, maybe you know, uh, you reach in your pocket and grab some kibble. That, that can do it, too. But uh, that was pretty fantastic. So if you haven't seen that yet, make sure you go over to our Instagram page and, and check it out. It's a pretty awesome moment. Uh, it's just kind of like the, the bookend on our entire trip. Um, but if we're talking nine years of, yeah. of, of rooster road trip I think we've history, all kind of done that, a historic um, one, and, and, then, uh, and then this year. So let's do a historic one. It, it has to involve my dog, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why it wouldn't. Well, she, she's the better looking, smarter, harder worker, working, you know, part of this partnership. So, yeah, it, it definitely involves her. And it also uh, happens to involve a walk in our wildlife management area in western Minnesota that was dedicated uh, in, in honor of Pheasants Forever's 25th anniversary. Uh, it's a very large uh, piece of property in Lack of And uh, it was, I think, one of our first hunts on our first rooster road trip. Um, and Bob, we were with Bob St. Pierre and his German short hair pointer trammel locked up and it was a double flush. And again, it was one of those classic kind of double flush moments where they kind of peel off. They always in different split, directions, don't they? Right? And I say again, <laughs> because that happened to Erica Yost when she got her first South Dakota rooster on our trip too. This year. Um, this year. Yep. And so the one peeling off to the left just happened to go in front of me. It was dropped. And then my dog, my five and a half month old, you know, lab bow, just so happened to go and pick it up. And that just so happened to be her very first wild bird retrieve. So you just had that aha moment with, with smidge in the field, having her, you know, come into her prime, like, okay, like we're doing this. This the is meta- happening. The metamorphosis, so to that, speak. That's, that was the moment where I think I was 23 years old. And I'm looking at this little puppy with a rooster in her mouth that it seems like this bird's half her, uh, half her size. And she brings it right to hand. I kneel down, I pick it up and it's the golden hour, the sun setting in the background. And I finally had like this, this confidence that I had always lacked in the field. It's like, oh man, like we're doing this. Like this is now going to be a major part of my life. And I'm going to be following this dog for a very, very long time. And I can't wait to see what else happens. It was just, it was that pivotal moment where you go from, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if I'm doing it right to, oh man, this is what it's all about. We got this. Um, and so having that happen, uh, during the road trip on a piece of public ground that the local chapter, uh, helped to acquire and turn public, uh, that for me, that's just putting a bow on it. That was kind of get it, putting putting a a bow on it. You like that? Was that purposeful? We'll say yes. I'm looking at him. It, it wasn't purpose, purposeful, but that's good. I think subconsciously he had in mind that that's, that, that's a great story. That's that's a Keystone Pheasants Forever project in West Central Minnesota. It's been added to. Yep. Is there a whole another section added on that, or is that a half section right across the street? I need to go sniff that out again. I think I think it was a quarter with a quarter, but okay. um, 
it is my it dad's is, out there right now he took my dog because he watched the road trip stuff and was like what's lux's schedule can i have him for monday to wednesday and i actually pointed out that property to him there you go that that's what the road trip's all about it's uh it's about inspiring other people to go out there and do what we just did which is nothing special right that's the whole point it's it's publicly accessible lands that you your dog and your friends can go explore and it's, that's that's what pheasants yeah. forever's working so hard to provide and produce it's, for you as well it's it's nothing out of the ordinary i mean i know what you're saying it's like it's nothing special but it's everything yep. you know right I, so yeah that's that's what we've always tried to do it's been a it's been a pleasure to share the field and the air with you guys uh it, it was is probably the most fun i've ever had on, on the rooster road trip and i guess that does put a bow on it the only question is where to next year Let's have let, let's have people <laughs> people can chime in. They, yeah. they they know where to find us at this point. Uh, they've been blowing up the Instagram messages, and I'm getting back to them. And I know you're doing the same on Facebook. Uh, if you have some uh, ideas of different publicly accessible lands that Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever have uh, played a part in that are worth exploring and highlighting, that kind of uh, tie everything together, we're we're willing to listen for sure. Sounds good. Good job, guys. Thanks for uh, following and listening, everyone. We appreciate it. Thank you.